Well, good morning. A little earlier at it this morning than usual, but uh, we're, we're going to jump right in to God's Word. Um, and, and I want to start by asking you, so what would it take for you to have a perfect body? That's a loaded question, huh? What would it take for you to have a perfect body? Yeah, some of you don't even want to think about that. Some of you think about it a lot, right? And uh, as we talk about that, I, I d- did a little bit of study research, and, and I, you've heard me say, uh, probably, because I, I go to Brown's Gym down here in Clark Summit, um, and um, every January, we're just a month and a half away, can you believe that, from the new year? And, and, and every January, man, I, I don't enjoy the month of January at the gym because it is just full of people. I mean, everybody got a new membership for Christmas or everybody made a resolution and they're there to work out and get stronger and skinnier and, and all the rest of that. And it's just like they, they're, they're clogging up using the machines that were usually there. We have our schedules all worked out and, and who are all these new people coming in? But you know what? By the end of January, beginning of February, it, they're gone. Yeah, it is. Now, I, I, I've always said that. I, folks, it's true. And, and let me tell you how that's true. Um, the USA Today did a study, and the update was from July 19th of this year. So that's pretty clear and new. Um, they reported that a full 67%, 67% that's two out of three, Gym memberships go completely unused. Fact. Yeah, (laughs) it's like, what? See, that just proves my January theory. It's just like, yeah, okay, and that's why they're gone by February. 67% are completely unused. Now, considering that the average gym membership in our country is $60 a month, It's a lot of wasted money. That amounts to Americans blowing $397 million annually on gym memberships that they never use. Man, and we're talking about budget today. $397 million blown on unused gym memberships. Do you realize that many gyms build their business model Counting on two out of three not showing up. Planet Fitness, the average Planet Fitness in our country uh, has about 6,500 members. You know, they're the ones that advertise $10 a month. Sometimes you pay a dollar down. And, all right. Most, the average Planet Fitness, 6,500 members, but it's gyms, each gym on the average can only accommodate 300 people. That's a business plan, right? All right, there you go. So those of you business majors, take note. But it's all about the body. That's why all these gym memberships, it's, a, it's about the body. So, uh, getting it healthier, getting it stronger, getting the muscles toned, whatever it may be. But the desire to have a better body. Some would go after the perfect Body. Some, I'm sure, think they have the perfect body. I remember years ago when I was a whole lot younger. I'm not sure I ever thought I, but I was close. <laughs> Just, all right, well, I better move on. 
You could ask my wife. I mean, you know. No. Uh, so anyway, let's talk about the perfect body. Because one day, every believer will get a perfect body. Huh? Is that not cool to think about? And so as we think that through, open your Bibles with me, please, this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to start at verse 37. We're continuing in chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 13. We had the slide up there that you saw our study, the Rediscovering the Resurrection. And so as we look at uh, the last part of uh, 1 Corinthians 15, actually we're not going to look at verse 58. We're going to save that for the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Next Sunday, folks, we're having a special Thanksgiving praise service. We're going to do a communion. Uh, we're going to spend time praising God. And uh, we're going to have a great time together. That's next Sunday, so don't miss that, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, as we spend time uh, on the need to thank God. But this morning, I want to answer two questions for you, two questions that Paul raises and, and, and leave you with a challenge. And so the two questions had to do with the how and the why of that perfect body. So first of all, I want you to notice in verses 35 to 49, how are the dead raised? How are the dead raised? Paul introduces us to this. We've been talking about the resurrected body, the new body. In verse 35, we read, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Now, that sounds like a good question. Because here's how the thought process may have been going for them. It may have been, well, how could this happen? How could God raise the dead? And with a body, I mean, there would be nothing left. I mean, even back then, they didn't have all of the, the chemicals, I'll say it that way. My mind is not coming up with the word. But uh, when, when the a funeral director prepares the body to last, right, and that it won't rot. They didn't have all of that stuff years ago. And so the, the, these people are saying, hey, well, how in the world could the body, what, how does that work? How would it be raised? I mean, come on, decomposition. Our son Luke uh, this last week uh, was doing uh, a ride-along all week long with the homicide team. He's a detective and uh, usually does... Uh, uh, burglaries and, and that kind of stuff, but he, but he did homicide, and he, he said, Dad, the, the first home we went into, we'd gotten a call somehow, and we went in, and it was a guy in that home that hadn't been, that was dead and probably had been dead for a month, and so you can imagine the decomposition that had taken place already in a month, and they couldn't even figure out then and there on the spot how he died because the body was too destroyed, eaten up, what are, decomposed, right? Well, that's the question. How in the world? What's God going to do? Think about this, for example. I, I read this little thing. I thought, I got to read this for you. If someone died at sea and sailors buried him, a fish might eat his body. The atoms and molecules of his body would become part of the fish. If a fisherman caught and ate the fish, its body would become part of the fisherman's body. If the fisherman died and an undertaker buried him in the ground and someone eventually sowed wheat over his grave, the fisherman's atoms and molecules would go into the wheat. A third person might eat the wheat and so on. 
And the question would be, how could the first person's body ever come together again? How could there be a resurrected body? In part of my study this week, I also came across this. Uh, when the body of the founder of Rhode Island, anybody know who that is? Anybody from Rhode Island? Anybody know who founded Rhode Island? Roger Williams. I don't know if I heard that or not, but Roger Williams. And uh, he said, not Andy Williams, right? Uh, okay. Roger Williams, was, uh, his body was dug up, the grave was interred, and it was discovered that the roots of a nearby apple tree had grown right through the casket. Um, to some degree, the people who ate apples from that tree partook of the DNA of Roger Williams' body, right? Now, how in the world is God going to figure out this with a resurrected body, with a new body? You see, you say, well, those are good questions. No wonder they ask that. No wonder Paul raises the question as somebody would ask, except for the fact that when we look at Paul's answer, uh, the question was probably asked with sarcasm because the, the people that Paul is addressing here did not believe that we would receive resurrected bodies. They were having trouble with that. In fact, they were very sarcastic with it. We talked about that last week. The Greeks didn't believe that. When life ended, it ended for the body. The only thing that lived on was the soul. To think about a resurrected body one day was ridiculous. And yet, that is what we're told in Scripture. And Paul's response to those skeptics is this, verse 36. As Paul says, he says in the NIV, how foolish. In the New uh, or the uh, ESV, it tells us, you foolish person. But in the Greek, there's one word. Fool. Fool. That's how Paul responds. Obviously, he's responding to the skepticism of those who had been taught the believing Corinthians in the church. You foolish person, how foolish of you to think. You're missing the whole concept here. Now, you got to get this because I, I want you to understand it. Resurrection is not reconstruction. And, and, and I had not thought about this like that before. I would say absolutely when I read it from a number of different guys and, and the two words that were used, resurrection is not reconstruction. Resurrection is not resuscitation. Okay, you remember when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? When he did that, that was not the resurrected body. It was the same old earthly physical body. We're going to talk about this. It was not a resurrection body that we will receive one day. We'll talk about that. And, and in a sense, we could say that Jesus resuscitated Lazarus. Lazarus did not have a new glorified body. He had the same old body he was born with. And that's an interesting thought as we think about that. So when we're talking about a resurrected body, we're not just talking about this old body waking up in heaven. And, and so here we go as we dig into this. So verses 36 to 38 there, as we look at the text, Paul goes on, how foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. He's talking about seeds. He's talking about plants of some kind. He says, when you sow, verse 37, you do not plant the body, that will be but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he determined, and to each kind of seed, he gives its own. Now, 
What's this? Right, okay. And what's the... Oh, no, it doesn't... This is a knife. You know that. You said, oh, Glenn, don't cut your finger off. All right. All right, here we go. Now, that's an apple, right? I cut the apple open in the middle of this apple. Boy, I'm sure glad they're here because this would have made no sense whatsoever. <laughs> I said to Jane, I said, when she brought me, I said, now, there are seeds in this thing, aren't there? She said, I don't know if I've ever eaten an apple that didn't. So, so here, you can barely see it, but what's that? An apple seed. So if I asked you to give me an apple, as I t- asked Jane, because I forgot to bring it this morning, I asked her to bring me an apple. What if she brought me this? Well, I would have said, "Hun, I asked for an apple. You brought me a seed. Well, but, but that's what it is, right? So when Johnny Appleseed puts this in the ground, what happens? Out of the tree comes this, right? That's what Jesus is saying, or Paul is saying. That's the truth of what Paul is trying to communicate here. That the body that goes into the ground is not what comes up. That's what Paul's talking. He uses the illustration of wheat, perhaps of wheat. Jane grew up in Iowa. Corn. Soybeans. Have you ever seen the corn planted out in the fields? And the, and the, the corn that you made, like popcorn, it's not that stuff, but that came from Iowa or some other state, right? Well, but, but what does it look like when it's grown? It looks like the ear corn that we eat. And that's what Paul's saying. He goes on. That's the idea. What we put in the ground isn't what we harvest. Then he says this in verse 39. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds another. And fish another. What's he saying there? He's saying not all flesh is the same. God, if God can make different bodies now, and he talks about one is human, one is a fish, one is a bird, all right, there are, there are people there, uh, and, and he says those are all different bodies. If God makes all kinds of different bodies, don't you think he can solve the dead body issue with you and I, right? What's that going to be when it grows in the ground? That's what they're asking, except very sarcastically. Then we go down to verse 40. There are also heavenly bodies. And there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is, is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun is one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and the star, and star differs from star in splendor. What's he saying? God made celestial bodies. God made terrestrial, earthly bodies. But the fact of the matter is, they're all different. And these bodies have different glories. In fact, there are those who look at this and would say that in the future, in eternity, when we're with God in heaven, that believers are going to get different glories, different rewards based on their lives on this earth. Now that's for another, we've been there actually back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we looked at that. But as we look at that here, what's Paul saying? Well, look down to verse 42. So it it will be, or so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. He's saying these three illustrations, the seed and what comes out of it, the animals, the birds, the fish, what comes, those are different bodies. 
He says then the, the, the sun, the moon, the stars, those are all different bodies. They'll have different glories. What's he saying? So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. This body he's talking about. This body is, is, is perishable. It will not last forever. It's going to die. But he says then, uh, but it is raised imperishable. Verse 43, it is sown in dishonor. This body is lowly. It's humble. It's subject to shame. But it will be raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. This body gets hurt. It gets injured. It gets sick, right? We know that. And ultimately, it gets tired. Anybody tired this morning? This body gets tired. We know that. And ultimately, this body will die unless Jesus comes before that happens. And then Paul says it is raised in power, a new body. And then verse 44, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. It is sown an earthly body. What we are all sitting here in this morning, this earthly natural body, but it will be raised a spiritual, supernatural body. Heavenly body is what Paul's talking about. And then verse 44, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And look at the text as Paul goes on. Verse 45, so it is written, and Paul begins to quote some Old Testament scripture back from Isaiah and Hosea, and he says, the first Adam became a living being. Who's the first Adam? That's not a trick question. Yes, somebody said it. Adam, right? That must, he can't be Adam, right? You know, the first Adam, he says. So there it is. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, who's that? Jesus Christ. You could take a look at the book of Romans. Paul talked about it earlier. But the last Adam is Jesus Christ. And he says the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The spiritual, verse 46, did not come first but the natural And after that, the spiritual, this body is first. When we die and are raised again, then comes the spiritual body. Verse 47, the first man who was Adam, all right, the first man was Adam, was of the dust of the earth. I mean, that's how God made him, right? You remember that, Genesis chapter 2 and 3, as you read in there. Uh, The second man, Jesus, was of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. In other words, in Adam, we are all born. Paul talks about in the book of Romans. We came because Adam sinned, we've sinned. And so that's what he's talking. We came, our father was Adam. For every human being on this earth, Adam was our father. As we look at that, the earthly man. And so then we see that, uh, and as is the heavenly man, Jesus so also are those of heaven for those who believe, for those who receive Jesus. We will, have, we will be of heaven. So in Adam, we were humanly born. In Jesus Christ, we will one day, if we're saved now, are spiritually born, but will receive one day after we die and a spiritual heavenly body. That's 
what Paul's talking about. Verse 49, and just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, Adam, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man, Jesus Christ. Now there it is. That's the how. You see, our Savior Jesus is also our creator, right? Our creator. We don't have to know the science or the biology or anything else to know that when this body goes into the grave or even is cremated, man, that really must have created more of a problem for God than he ever had with just a body in it, right? No, of course not. Because God is God, our Savior, Creator. Created us, made us, is the one who will make the heavenly bodies. Is the one who, when this body goes under, like that apple seed, will come out an apple. A new body, a different body. And it will be similar to this body. You want to study the resurrection body? Read Luke chapter 24. Do you remember what that's about? It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what happens on that resurrection day? He meets two guys on the road to Emmaus. And he walks with them in his resurrected body. You want to know what that's like? Read Luke 24 to see what his resurrection body was like. Flesh and blood. He talked. He walked. They didn't recognize him at that point. He even ate a meal with them. And it was right in the middle of the meal when he broke the bread and prayed. All of a sudden their eyes were open. It's like, Jesus! And he, he's gone. But the resurrected body. Later on that evening, what did he do? Jesus met the, room, the guys in the upper room, the disciples. Basically, the door was locked, and here he is. And what does he do with his body? He says what? Right here, look, my, my hands, look. My, I mean, it was like, there it is. He, he was there. And so we can learn a lot about the resurrection body by looking at Luke 24 and seeing what Jesus is like. So how is that going to happen? Through the power of God, our Savior, Creator, Jesus Christ. Now, why then are the dead raised? Well, look at verse 50. Verse 50 of chapter 15, 1 Corinthians. Paul says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So why are the dead raised? Because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Our bodies as they are now cannot be with God in heaven. The perishable, as he says, cannot inherit the imperishable. That which is subject to decay and destruction and disease and death cannot enter heaven. That's why it needs to be made imperishable. That which will never go away. That's what Paul is saying. And that's the answer to the question, why? And he continues then in verse 51. He says, listen then. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. We've seen that word mystery a number of times in our study in 1 Corinthians. What is a mystery? Simply put, a mystery is something that was truth that was formerly hidden or concealed, but now it has been revealed. And so Paul is saying this has now been revealed to us. He goes on and he says, here's the mystery. What is it? We will not all sleep. What did we say sleep meant for a believer? 
death, yes. We will, as believers, not all die before Jesus comes again. When the resurrection of the dead occurs, there will be some living believers. At the rapture is what Paul is saying. So he says that we will not all sleep. We will, as believers, not all die, but we will all be changed. So dead or living believers will all be changed, will all be given a new body. That's what Paul's saying. And he says, in a flash, verse 52, that word is the word for Adam. Not Adam and Eve, Adam, but Adam like, I I guess, where's Paul Rollins? He's our science guy, but, you know, where it's like a molecule or the smallest particle. It's not a molecule, it's an atom. The smallest particle in, that's the word there, in a flash, boom, that's that small, that quick. The twinkling, the flash, the, uh, the blinking of the eye. He says, At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. There's the new body. And then he says, we will be changed. Those of us as believers that are living. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Woohoo! Huh? Folks, this old body, it'll, it'll be brand new. It'll be perfect. In fact, in 1 John chapter 3, John himself says that we don't know what we're going to be except that we know that when we see Jesus, we will be like him. Wow. Those two man-made stainless steel or titanium, what are they, sweetie? Titanium valves that I have in my heart, guess what? They'll be gone. It'll be all a brand new body that I have. And a lot of you have parts in your body that you weren't born with. Some of you have knees and shoulders and other heart parts and all the rest of it, right? And you weren't born with them. You'll get brand new glorified will be like Jesus. Wow. No more sin. No more death. Death came because of sin. And we're made aware of sin by the law. That's what the Bible, the law, points out sin. If we didn't have the law, Paul said in Romans, we wouldn't know that we were sinners. But God's word says we're sinners, we're born that way, and it doesn't take long to know that we're sinners. But with a new body, when Jesus comes again, that's all gone. And that's why he says, Paul says, as he gets down there to verse 57, thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, folks, huh? Now here's the challenge. Because what good is it if we we know all that, we can walk out of here this morning feeling pretty good about ourselves that no matter what happens to this old body, one day it's going to be made brand new and that's great, and we can be feeling good about that and happy and rejoicing for a while, but after that, it's like, okay, I know that. But 
Well, because here's the point. What we believe about the future affects what we do now. You may not have thought about that before. How we live our lives now or what we believe about the future determines how we live our lives now. See, if we believe one day Jesus is coming again, he's going to take us to be with him, that's going to affect what we do now. And what we do with our bodies matters. And it matters now, folks. Paul already talked about this. Look back a few chapters to chapter 6. Chapter 6, and with this I close, because here's the challenge. How will we be given new bodies? How will our bodies be raised? By the power of our creator, God, Savior, Jesus Christ. Just like that seed becomes this apple. This old, perishable, dishonored, weak body goes into the ground and comes out one day as a brand new, heavenly, perfect body, a body like Jesus. But look at 1 Corinthians. Paul already talked about this, but we, may, we didn't see it like that. Now we're seeing it as we go back. Paul says, do you not know that your, what? Bodies. Bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. Remember we said the temple means dwelling place? In the Old Testament, the temple was the dwelling place of God. The tabernacle was the dwelling place of God. And that's the language used. We are, as believers today, our bodies, our bodies are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. The temple is the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God. When we, when we trust Christ, we, we are given the Holy Spirit. You are not your own. Did you hear what Paul says? You are not your own. We so often hear, it's my life to live. I can do what I want. Well, not as a believer. You are not your own. Why? Because if we are believers, we were bought at a price. What's that price? The blood of Jesus Christ. He gave his life in our place for our sins you are not your own you were bought at a price the death and the shed blood of Jesus Christ in our place for our sins therefore honor God with your bodies he doesn't say with your spirit with your soul he says with your bodies why because that's what we are living in right now until we die Jesus takes us home to be with him or he comes back and we're still alive that's the challenge folks you are not your own I am not my own it is not my body it is God's and what you and I do with our bodies is for God is to honor him with our bodies. And what does that mean? What does give glory? Some translations, therefore glorify God with your body. Make point, point to God. 
when we glorify an athlete or a movie star or a, a musician who we, we what do we do we we can't stop talking about them and and doing everything we can to get to know them and and lift them up and and talk about them and praise them and all that honor God with your bodies means we do that with God and that when people watch the way this body functions on this earth what do they see they see God if we're honoring God with our bodies because we're not our own that's what Paul's talking about. And that's the challenge for you and I today. When people see this body on this earth by the way we live and breathe and talk and act and think, they need to see Jesus. That's how we honor God with our bodies. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, that you would help us who know Jesus to point to him by the way we live our lives, by the way our bodies function. And God, if there are any here today who have no hope after death, who have no promise of anything except eternal punishment, separation forever from you in hell, God, cause them to realize that you love them Send Jesus to die for them so their sins can be forgiven. And if they will believe and trust you, they can know the forgiveness of sin. And God, I pray that we who know you as we anticipate that day, one day when we see Jesus and become like him because we see him as he is. Oh God, I pray that meantime we would live our lives in a way that points people to Jesus. For it's in his name I pray. Amen.